Which please turn with me to your study outline. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online and also our friends at First Baptist Church of Arco, Idaho, First Baptist Church of Kalispell, Montana, and the Hangar in Marion, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us today. And this is a good Sunday for you to join us because this is the DNA that goes throughout uh, wherever uh, our church uh, reaches into. This is our DNA that we're talking about. Now, unfortunately, uh, vision leaks over time. Vision leaks. And over time, churches and Christian organizations lose their vision. You can see that all the time with organizations that used to be Christian, schools that used to be Christian that are no longer uh, have those Christian values, and churches uh, that lose their vision. That's what makes our 146-year history as a church so absolutely remarkable. I'm just telling you that in American history, it is you can almost count on a couple of hands how rare it is for a church to still be thriving and effective after 146. 46 years. It just is rare in even world or American history. It's been a rare thing over the last 2,000 years. And yet here we are, 146 years later, on fire for Jesus, still thriving and pumping as we follow after him. Now, as I said in my prayer earlier, Revelation chapter 2, uh, Jesus had to challenge the church at Ephesus. They were just a few years old. And yet he said to them, you've lost your first love. You need to rekindle your first love. Rekindle your vision again and again. And think of how many times through the last 146 years we've had days like this where we had to stir the fire uh, once again. Now, we used to have a vision statement. It was equipping people to change their world for Christ. But we realized that it had fallen into disuse and that we really had no vision statement. And so in order to rectify that, the pastors, um, all the pastors went away uh, on a two-day retreat Uh, to seek after God, and what you see in your study outline there is the result of that time. Now, the first thing you'll see is the statement of faith. And we want to make something very clear. This never changes. Uh, This is biblical. This is theological. This is our foundation. This does not change. Generations come, generations go. Decades, centuries come, centuries go. This never changes. But a vision statement, a mission statement, and a set of core value, these are strategic. And they can change from time to time as our church's strategy changes. Uh, They're also different than goals. Um, If you've done these in the workplace or here at church or in another organization, uh, goals have five characteristics, S-M-A-R-T, that acronym for uh, the five things that are a good goal. They're specific, they're measurable, they're attainable, they're realistic, they're timely. But a vision and a mission statement is not like that. Vision is beyond our grasp until we get to heaven. Uh, Vision is actually something we may not accomplish until we get to heaven. I love this quote that uh, Pastor Eric uh, sent to me, texted to me a few days ago by Simon Sinek. You'll see it behind me. It's there in your study outline. The best visions offer us something for all practical purposes we will never reach, but for which we will gladly die trying. Isn't that awesome? I love that. That sends shivers up my spine. The best visions offer us something that for all practical purposes we'll never reach until we get to heaven. But we, by the grace of God as a church, are going to die trying uh, to accomplish that. Now, why have a vision statement? There's a bunch of different reasons. Let me just give you a couple for the sake of time. First is unity. 
One of the struggles of megachurches, uh, churches 2,000 and above, which our church is a megachurch by that definition, uh, one of the struggles of megachurches that we've seen across the country is their ministries tend to silo. Okay, what do I mean by silo? They're in their own little world. You've got global impact or missions over here, and you've got uh, men's ministry here and women's ministry here and student ministries here and children's ministry uh, here and uh, celebration arts over here, and they're all siloed, doing their own thing as almost like miniature churches within the broader church. Um, well, that can happen with uh, um, adult Bible studies or larger fellowship groups uh, where we all tend to silo uh, o- over time. And so the beauty of a, of a common vision and mission statement is that it unifies us and prevents against that siloing effect, which is very natural the larger uh, church becomes. A second reason for a vision statement is to clarify, to clarify our strategy. This is what we do as a church. This is what we do not do. It clarifies our budget. This is what our giving and our finances flow to and what it does not flow to. Now, our vision statement, as you see up there, is based on the Great Commission, and our mission statement is based on the Great Commandment. First of all, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, last words of Jesus before he ascended back to heaven. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age." Now, our vision statement is four words based on the Great Commission. Everyone, everywhere, following Jesus. Now, we will not achieve that until heaven. In heaven, everyone, everywhere is following Jesus. This side of heaven, that may not be the case, but we as a church are going to die trying until we either go home and die or until Jesus returns. Anybody want to say amen to that? Everyone, everywhere following Jesus. Would you repeat that with me out loud? Together, everyone, everywhere following Jesus. Let's break it down word by word. Everyone, Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. That is, uh, we are, are all one in Christ, and it's for everyone. The gospel is for everyone, racially and ethnically. Neither slave nor free. Uh, the good news of Jesus is for everybody uh, socioeconomically. Nor is there male and female. And I would add one, old or young, which is very important to our church, being multi-generational, that we are uh, in Christ, everyone, old, young, male, female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It is for everyone, and everyone is to be reached. Second word, everywhere. This is our oikos strategy, the 8 to 15, Greek word for household, the 8 to 15 in our sphere of influence. Everywhere we go, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to your neighborhood, when you go to your family, everywhere we go is the everywhere where we want to see people following Jesus. As Pastor Brian often says, that your zip code is your mission field. It talks about our campuses, uh, Pomona campus here on the 10 freeway and Claremont on the 210 freeway. It talks about Montana. Idaho, online, the hundreds that join us from across uh, the area, across the country, and around the world, uh, everyone, everywhere. It talks about our church plants, uh, over a dozen churches our church has planted, some of them very, very large and thriving and strong churches, most recently in Indianapolis, Indiana. It, it speaks to our missionaries globally, everyone, 
everywhere following 85 times in the gospel. The accounts of the life of Jesus by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just in those four books, the words follow or following or followed are used 85 times. It's always connected with discipleship. Uh, disciples of Jesus. It's connected with obedience, uh, full on, not just following him geographically, even though that might be part of it, but obeying him. And not just following him to heaven, but full discipleship. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, uh, go, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to obey, teaching them all the things I've taught you. Following means full discipleship on our way to heaven. And then the final word, is Jesus. It's the final word in our vision statement. It's the final word for everything we do here as a church. He's at the center of it all. He's at the beginning. He's at the end. The main thing is keep the main thing the main thing. Let me repeat that because it's so deep and profound. (laughs) The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing at Purpose Church is Jesus. Does anybody want to say amen to that? The main thing is Jesus. So, Everyone, everywhere, following Jesus. Would you say it with me out loud one more time together? Everyone, everywhere, following Jesus. Uh, Now we come to our mission statement, which is based on the great commandment. The great commandment is found in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's our mission statement. Helping people find their purpose to connect with God, connect with others, connect others with God. Uh, Let's repeat just the connect parts together. Connect with God, connect with others, connect others with God. Uh, Connect with God through worship, uh, through Bible reading, through prayer. Connect with each other through groups and and serving together and mentoring one-on-one. Uh, connecting others with God through serving, through our oikos strategy, and through giving. Well, now come our uh, core uh, values. And uh, the reason that I've, we've put the first one in the first position, there's a strategy to the order of these five core values, but particularly to the first one being the first one that Pastor Brian's going to talk about. And, and that's why we put this number one, because healthy churches have an outward focus, Unhealthy churches have an inward focus, okay? And, and the reason we're still thriving after 146 years is painstakingly, we naturally want to look inward. Our mind needs being met. Our, 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 our mind needs being provided for. That's the natural human tendency. And so many times in our 146-year history, we've had to have this again and again, rekindle our first love, rekindle our initial vision that it's outward in our focus, not inward, and that's how we continue to thrive by the grace of God until Jesus returns. Now, I've asked the other pastors, or some of the other pastors, uh, there are many other pastors here, but I've asked five of the others if they would uh, each take one of the core values. And you know, I honestly believe this. I am not blowing smoke when I say this. We are known across Southern California as having one of the finest pastoral staffs anywhere. I'm telling you. And that, and, 
And we're not necessarily known for having the finest senior pastor, but pastoral staff. We're kind of the Golden State Warriors of, uh, of churches where Steph Curry can score 11 points, but the bench comes in and rips it apart. But I digress to tonight at 5 o'clock, um, ABC, Channel 7. So let's hear from Pastor Brian as he comes. There he goes. Woo! And uh, Glenn does that all the time where he gives us so much encouragement and then he kind of takes the back seat. And so out of the few minutes that I get, I think we need to thank God for our leader. That's why we're here. That's why we follow. That if you look at, and now if you look at our core values, the first one is that found people find people. That all of us have to come to an understanding that we didn't go out and look for Jesus on our own, but rather he found us. And then what's our response? And I know, a lot, I know a lot that we just sit there and go, okay, I'm supposed to go share my faith. And so it kind of feels like this have to kind of thing. But as we look in this passage in John chapter one, this is well before Jesus says, go and make disciples. This is before he really starts his ministry. I mean, this is just kind of where John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, he sees him one day, he goes, yeah, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John's disciples are sitting there going, what? They're all used to following John, but now John is pointing them to Jesus. See, John was even surrounded by religious leaders, and he says, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? And he goes, no, 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 I'm not him. In fact, the one who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then he points to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the very next day, he says it again, behold the Lamb of God, and it intrigues these two disciples, these disciples of John, to where all of a sudden they come, it's kind of like, you, it's, they kinda, it looks like they're just kind of, they become stalkers. Can you imagine, it's like, that's him? Oh, and then they're just kind of peeking behind walls and behind trees, and, and all of a sudden, look what Jesus says. Hey, what are you seeking? And that's when you get caught. You're like, oh, nothing. I'm just looking around. I'm so sorry. Hey, what are you seeking? And here, guys, it is such a huge question. Why? Because every person on the planet is seeking something. The only thing is that every person on the planet is seeking Jesus. They just don't know it yet. That all of us were created for relationship with God. And so he says, hey, what are you seeking? And they said, well, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said, well, come and see. He just invites them. He says, so they came and and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that that day, for it was about the 10th hour, which is 4 p.m., one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So he has this whole day with them. And now notice the very first thing after that, verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon. That's the first thing he did. He said, I said, okay, I got to go find Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Now, it's crazy. Out of one conversation, Andrew runs away and goes, we got him. We found him. He's here. I mean, this had to be some incredible conversation that they're having with Jesus. And and then goes on. But he brought him to Jesus. And that's the key. Friends, if... It, it shouldn't take a whole lot of effort. You say, oh, do you do it all the time? No, but here's the thing. Don't you just brag about your kids, parents, grandparents especially, right? If someone says, how are your kids doing? You're like, do you have a day per child, per event? 
And it's kind of like, that's why you want to kind of be careful how often you ask the question, because they're actually going to answer it. And it doesn't take any effort. You're just bragging about your kids. Here's evangelism. Here is going out and telling people about Jesus. Brag about how great Jesus is. When Andrew met Jesus, he just looks and says, we found him. The first thing that pops in his mind is what? I got to tell my brother. I got to get my brother. And his brother is who? Simon, who becomes Peter. And Jesus is the one who looks at Simon and says, you know, your name is Simon, but you will be Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell cannot withstand it. Friends, he's not even, sometimes he's not even saying, hey, go around the world. You personally, go the opposite side. Maybe he's just saying, hey, you, go across the street. Or go next door. Or call your family. Why? Because found people find people. Start with the people you know. Andrew didn't go around the world. He just started with who? I got to tell my brother. And his brother's life was changed forever. And we have been impacted for the fact that we don't ever talk about Andrew. But because Andrew said, I have found the Messiah. I have to tell my brother. We have been impacted. And that's the example. We just tell people. We brag about Jesus. Why? Because found people find people. Our second core value is that we are better together. As a coach or an athlete on a team, uh, we know, everyone knows that we're better together. As, as great as Steph Curry or LeBron James are, they're never going to win a, an NBA championship by themselves. They've got to have a team. But this core value is about much more than just teamwork. It's about the, the very nature of who God is. It's about the, the way that he has created us and designed us to live out our lives. And so our statement is that God created you to share life with others. It begins with God. God never existed in isolation. The Bible tells us that God is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has always existed in, in community within himself. And so God, uh, out of the overflow of that community, of that loving, perfect community, he created us in his own image, Genesis 1. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And what's the only thing in the whole creation account that is deemed not good? Genesis 2, God said it is not good for man to be alone. From the beginning, we were created to be in relationship with God and relationship with others. We are better together. And, and what did Jesus call us to when, when he came? He didn't invite us to take on a list of do's and don'ts or, or tasks or duties or to act religious. He, his invitation was simple. Come, follow me. It was an invitation into relationship. And then what did Jesus do after that? He, he gathered a, a, a group of guys and he brought them, invited them into a circle of relationships to walk with him and, and live with him for those three years in a circle of relationships. Being a follower of Jesus has always been more relational than informational. How did Jesus say that the world would know where his, his followers, his disciples in John 13? By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And that love isn't just a feeling or a belief that we're supposed to have. It's supposed to be lived out. And so what does that look like in the church? Our, our theme verse that we've chosen for this value is from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more. Meet together. Spur one another on. Encourage one another. 
And there are 57 other one another's in the New Testament as we're instructed how we are to, to, to be with one another, how we are to, what we are to do for one another. Here's just a few of them. But as, as followers of Jesus, we, we, there's so much that we can do to connect with God uh, individually we, through Bible and, and through prayer. There's so much that we can do to connect with God in, in rows like you are right now, in, in worship, in preaching and, and teaching. But if we're going to live out the experience life the way that God designed us to, if we're going to live out those one another's, then we have to, to stop living independent and isolated lives. We have to, to step out of our rows and enter into circles of relationships where we can be known and where Jesus is at the center. Eight weeks ago, Lori and I took a step from living independently and, and a step out of our, our rows to enter into a new circle of relationships in a rooted group. Eight weeks ago, all the people in our group that we were placed in, we didn't know any of them. And here's a couple pictures from this last week, eight weeks later, as we've spent these eight weeks with this group. And I love the, the, the group that God has placed us in and that the diversity that we have. Uh, as we have a, a pastor in the group and we have seven out of the 11 people in our group are brand new to our church. We have different ages, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, different backgrounds. We have uh, uh, native Southern Californians like me, and we have first-generation Egyptian-Americans and first-generation Mexican-Americans. And then maybe biggest of all, we actually have uh, USC and Notre Dame football fans in the same group. <laughs> but Jesus is at the center, and the circle of relationships is making us better. I know personally that, uh, that it's stretched me and grown me uh, in new ways as a, as a Christ follower, as a man, as a husband, and as a father. And as Laurie and I have faced uh, challenges in our family, this, it's this group that has surrounded us and supported us and prayed for us, and we've seen God answering prayer. We are better together. Awesome. Thanks, God. <clears throat> Well, our third core value is that growing people change. Now, when I went to grad school, I changed the color of my hair. When I moved to California, I changed my address. When I got married, I changed my name. Uh, when I got pregnant, I changed my shoe size. Okay, everything changes when you get pregnant. And um, four babies later, I have changed a lot of diapers. So there is a lot of change all around us. How about you? What have you changed lately? Have you changed your phone number? Have you changed your dentist? Have you changed an outlook on life? What has changed? The world around us is constantly changing and we are forced to keep up with it and change as well. But it's so easy for people to notice things like maybe when you got your hair cut. Oh, you got your hair cut. They notice the external changes. But what about the internal changes that are going on inside you? You see, as we began to talk about this, we got so excited about the idea that the church our church, a relationship with Jesus is one of the only places that really encourages and, and, and helps facilitate this kind of 
internal change, that growing people in Jesus have change in their lives. And it's not just the kind of change that the world is pushing you to have. Do you have a bigger house, a bigger car, a bigger title at work? What are changing in your life that is visible to the world? But Jesus cares about what is changing inside of you. Are you approaching life differently? When I became a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden my dreams changed. My goals changed. My calling changed. My purpose changed. And because of Jesus, that internal change became something that motivated me to to face the world differently. That it means I want to have a different kind of marriage in this world that people can see. That I want to be a different kind of parent. That I can be a different kind of daughter and interact with my parents differently. That the words that come out of my mouth should be different. And that that is a process that never ends. That whether I am a first day believer in Jesus or whether I am 20 years into my relationship with Jesus, there is always a next step to take in the growth that the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart, doing in your life to refine you, to shape you, to mold you, to become more and more like Jesus. And so our heart, our goal here at Purpose Church is that as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, that you reflect that change. That the world around you will notice that there is something different about you. There is something different about the people of Purpose Church because they are committed to the change that the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't do what the world tells you to do. Don't give in. Don't give in. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will for your life is. What is God's good and pleasing and God's perfect will for your life. Can you imagine, church, if we became a people that are so committed to growing in our faith that we are willing to turn our eyes away from impurity and fix our eyes on Jesus? Can you imagine if we became a people that would walk away from temptation and walk towards hope? If we became a people that was slow to anger and quick to forgive. If we became a people that would give without expectation. If we would love without hesitation. If we became a people that would look for God to show up and expect that God really will show up. Can you imagine if we would live in this world but not be of this world? world. Church, can you imagine that if we grow, as we grow, as we expect God to grow us, that our lives would reflect a radical, unexplainable, crazy change that the world around us would notice. One of the ways in which we grow is through service. And so our fourth value is that everyone is designed to serve. I think back to my own story, and I didn't really start going to church until I was in high school. And it was because a group of friends of mine uh, persisted week after week to invite me to this thing called a youth group, where young people go to church on a Wednesday night and have fun. That was kind of a crazy idea to me. Um, But a year after I started going to 
youth group, my youth pastor at the time asked me to get more involved and to uh, step into a leadership role and to start serving. And I really, I thought he was kind of crazy. I'm like, I don't have any leadership gifts. I can't serve. I'm the new guy. What what can I contribute here? You guys have known Jesus and done this for a long time. Uh, but I trusted him and I thought, well, maybe he sees something in me that I don't see. Uh, and so I started to take on more of a leadership role and begin serving and helping out, making decisions and planning events. And to be honest, it was one of the most transformative moments of my life because I was able to step into a role that, although it was foreign to me, it really pushed me to grow. Uh, And so we believe uh, God made you to make a difference when you serve others. Sometimes we think that uh, the, the small things are not important or that maybe it's someone's job to go do this thing, but it's not mine. It's maybe someone is going to go paint that building or, or fill that program, but it's not mine. The crazy thing is like, it's everyone's job. Every single person is designed to serve. And there's no one small task either that is not important. The, some of the most smallest things that we can do can magnify into the greatest things. Uh, I was in the office a couple weeks ago and I I met one of our church members who, uh, for many years, has filled the program day, week after week, just so that we all can have the programs that have the inserts inside them, and how faithful it is that she serves. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, the verse that uh, we chose for this for the theme is 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You see, each of us has been given gifts uh, that sometimes we're not aware of, but other times we can discover through service. Some of you might already know a gift that you have that you can share with our church. Like the other pastors have already shared, I encourage you, think or imagine what our church community could look like if everyone served. Not only our church, but even bigger than that, as we're outwardly focused, think of the impact we can have on our city, on our state, on our nation, and the world if we continue to serve even if in the smallest of ways. So just to encourage you, every single person is designed to serve, no matter if you are brand new or you've been here for 50 years. And our last, our last value as a church is generous people transform the world. And for me, this is an incredibly personal value because a few weeks ago, we asked you to be generous. We asked you as the student ministries team, we we begged you to step up and to help us send students to camp. That every year there are tons of students who would love to go to camp, but financially they just can't make it possible. And so we did the giving wall and we had this audacious, crazy goal of raising $20,000. And honestly, I didn't know if it was possible. Well, within the last two weeks, I am so excited to share with you that you didn't raise 20000 You raised $22,000 to send students to camp. Come on. Like, who are you? Who are you? That is absolutely amazing. And, and that's a really big number. But I want to tell you about one student specifically who is going to benefit from you being generous. It's a student in our student ministries who recently in their small group shared that their high for the week was that their family went to the local food bank and was able to get enough groceries. So for that week and hopefully the next, they'd be able to eat. See, we have students in our ministry who have similar stories to that. And so the idea of ever getting to go to a camp someday is just unfathomable. It's it's unimaginable for them. Well, this specific student 
will, will be going to camp with us this year. And, and not only will this student be going to camp with us this year, but there was another incredibly wild, generous person in this congregation who came up to me and heard about this student's story and said, I understand that they already have a scholarship to go to camp, but I would love to help buy them clothes for camp. I'd love to help buy them a duffel bag and a sleeping bag and a pillow for camp. And I was blown away because your generosity over and over and over again is transforming the world. It's transforming people's worlds. It's transforming kids. It's transforming students, adults, seniors, missionaries across the world. It's transforming the world. And then I had a conversation over dinner a few weeks ago with a gentleman who had struggled with alcoholism for decades and decades. And he said that people had been inviting him over and over and over again to come and check out Purpose Church. And he finally decided to come one Sunday to Purpose Church. And I don't know about you, but when you're inviting a friend to church or you're thinking about maybe you're new, maybe some of you are brand new, you know, as as friends, we pray, man, may it not be the like one Sunday where Pastor Glenn is talking about some obnoxious, crazy thing, right? Or like, or may may it not be something just like so out there, you know, insane. Well, this gentleman comes to church on the Sunday that Pastor Glenn is talking about tithing. And I don't know about you, but that's just not the Sunday I'm thinking we're going to win them to Christ. Do you know what I mean? That's just not what's going on in my mind. But this Sunday, this gentleman comes to church and he sits down and he hears Pastor Glenn give a, a compelling vision and, and an explanation of, of why we be generous, why we tithe. And this guy decided this Sunday to begin tithing. And as I was over dinner with him talking, he he began to cry and he talked about how it was that moment that he began to be generous and began to share and begin to tithe that Jesus actually began to transform his world. So you see, generous people transform the world, but we can also say that generous people will have their lives transformed. And so we believe that that the local church is the best place to invest financially because every dollar that you give goes further, faster. And our scripture for this is Paul talking to young Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, 18, he says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share because when we are generous, Jesus transforms the world through us. And I wanna be a part of that. And I know you do too. And so church, I just want to dream with you for a minute here. I want you to think and imagine what if every single one of us in this room said this vision, this mission, and these values, we will embody these. Like we will eat these for breakfast in the morning. We're going to snack. I love snacks. I love food. We're going to snack on these. We're going to snack on these all day long and we're going to have a steak prime rib dinner on everyone everywhere following Jesus. What if you said, man, when I wake up in the morning, this is what I'm going to live for. This is what I'd be willing to die for. I want you to think of everyone in your neighborhood, the people that are in the pews sitting next to you, the people you work with in your family. What if your heartbeat was, I want to see everyone everywhere following Jesus. Because you see, Jesus did this crazy thing. He had this mission to save and forgive and restore the world. And one of the first things he did is he grabbed a fisherman. A guy who didn't have it all together. A guy who would never have matched up. Who would never have qualified to follow a rabbi. And he said, guess what? Because you follow under the category of everyone, you're included. 
And then he goes to this tax collector who had this reputation of being a sinner and exploiting people. And he said, guess what? You're an everyone. And so everyone everywhere is meant to follow me. And so he started this small group. He joined these people together and he asked us to do the same thing. Can you imagine a church like ours where you have a Republican? This is going to get fun. You have a Republican and you have a Democrat sitting side by side and saying, we have these convictions, but there is something far greater worth giving my life up for. And it's that everyone everywhere would be following Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a church where the young and the wise, where the broken and those who have been healed They stand side by side where an ex-con and a police officer could say, hey, we used to be enemies on the street. We used to have conflict and beef, but because Jesus Christ is real, because he died and he rose from the grave, we are both together about the business of everyone, everywhere, following Jesus. Church, let's not waste our days. Let's not waste our relationships. Let's not waste our years. Let's not waste our lives living for something so insignificant. When we could live out the prayer that Jesus taught us, he said, hey, if you're going to pray, you need to say, Father, the will that you have in heaven, may it be done on earth. You want to be about that? You want to be about building your own kingdom? Just just building the things that you're passionate about? Or do you want to literally see heaven come to earth? Because everyone everywhere following Jesus is what God has always been about. It's what heaven's going to be like. And guess what? It could be a part of what we experience here. We could live and die trying to see everyone everywhere following Jesus. Church, are you up for that? All right. So I'm going to pray. And then when you get out of here, when you get out of here, you're going to go to a restaurant or you're maybe going to talk with some people here. And you got to remember, this is what we live for. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church, this very special, important church. Thank you that that we have found our purpose in you, Jesus, and that we want to see everyone everywhere following you. So God, would you help us in that mission? Would you inspire us? Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. All right. How appropriate that we end this day remembering and honoring Jesus. He's the center of it all, the beginning of it all, the end of it all. Everyone everywhere following Jesus. We're going to share the Lord's Supper together. The bread is his body that was given for us on the cross. The cup is his blood shed for us for our forgiveness. And everybody's welcome to share the Lord's Supper. You just need to know that you're a follower of Jesus. And uh, if you've done that in the past, or if you want to make that stand today, if you look on the next page uh, there in your program, uh, beyond the study outline, the upper left-hand corner, you'll see the steps the Bible talks about to acknowledge that we need forgiveness, we need a Savior. And then recognize that Jesus is the answer to that need. And then we make a decision to follow Him. And there's a little suggested prayer there. And if you've prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or maybe today could be your day, uh, you say, you know what, I want in on this. 
This is the greatest movement, the biggest movement, the fastest growing movement, the most pervasive movement in all of world history by far. Do you want to be part of this thing? Do you want to be part of that? Everyone, everywhere, following Jesus. And you can pray that prayer today. And you can become a follower as well. And if you do it, one of the things followers do is remember the one that started it all and by his death on the cross and his resurrection by taking the bread and the cup. And you're very welcome to show outwardly that you're a follower of Jesus. If just at some point in your life, including today, you want to make that decision to open your heart and receive him as your Savior and Lord. Let's take just a moment now and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.